0: T-I-K-A dot com That's right ladies and gentlemen It is that time I'm trying to remember what episode we're on Uh, Episode number 16 I believe Of the Bootleg Cab Podcast Is that terrible that I don't even remember what episode we're on Um, They're flying by though episode 16 that is correct welcome to the bootleghead podcast just want to say shout out to everybody locked in man Um, we are uh gonna start kind of ramping up the quantity of episodes moving forward there's a lot of dope stuff on deck we got an interview with blast who's probably the hottest artist out of la um we got an interview with sada baby who's from detroit and who was so high off a of lean during our interview that I had to cut it short because he was falling asleep and it was kind of pointless. Um, yeah. Interesting, nonetheless. <laughs> um, also, Action Bronson will be on the podcast next week. Bam, bam. He'll be on the podcast. Um, And yeah, man, so much stuff going on. I really just want to shout out to... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a sports gambler, and um, I've just been extremely excited that football's back. I just went to Vegas over the weekend with my best friend David, and uh, just watched football and got drunk and gambled. It was amazing. It was like, literally like, it was euphoric, uh, <laughs> but I got to shout out my Arizona Cardinals for winning me a shit ton of money over the weekend. Um yeah i'm trying to think of the new hip-hop i'm listening to right now i don't know if there's anything new but the new markel del juan and tony chalk ep that just dropped um that is actually off of ready set the label which if people don't know that's my record label so shout out markel and tony chalk go support their ep if you don't mind uh also burner's new project is out um yeah there's some dope new rap out um so you know Go Dibble and Dabble. I'm still off that Big Sean and that Conway. Uh, Both of those albums are still in full rotation for me. Shout out to Conway. Shout out to Big Sean. Both albums are crazy. This week's episode, we have got a legend, um, a Compton legend, MC8, the OG. Now, when I was a kid, man, I remember first kind of hearing of MC8. Um, Obviously, Compton's Most Wanted and... His beef with DJ Quick, I remember DJ Quick dissing him um, on Safe and Sound saying, E-I-H-T, should I continue? You left out the G because the G ain't in you. And as a kid, that was kind of how I first got super familiar with this guy. Um, but a legend, and we had a really dope conversation. He's got a new album that's out right now, officially, um, that's dope super fire features on there primos on there Davies Conway um go tap in with his new album and um of course before we get to the interview gotta shout out our sponsors we do have some of those shout out to our presenting sponsor odd socks yeah oddsocksofficial.com now if you don't know about odd socks they got the most comfortable socks in the world. They also got the fly socks in the world. Now, me, I'm a big fan of their uh, Odd socks Basics. I love them. They're so comfy. Um, probably the most comfortable socks I've ever felt on my feet. You can also get you those, like, dope licensed socks. You know, holidays are coming up. Um, get you some of them WWE socks, some of them Nickelodeon joints, some of them Breaking Bad joints, all that at oddsocksofficial.com. They got masks And if you're supporting them, that means you're supporting me. So go on there. Go to oddsocksofficial.com and use the keyword bootleg kev altogether for 20% off of your order. That's how you can support this podcast is going to oddsocksofficial.com. Showing them some love. Also, shout out to our other sponsor, Vapin. All right. Shalute, shalute, shalute to the homies at Vapin. Uh, Vapin is um, an amazing company based out of Phoenix, Arizona. If you're in Phoenix, you can go and participate in some of their marijuana. Um, They got uh, cartridges, wax, flour, all that, all over dispensaries, all over AZ. Um, But if you're not, you can go to vapingcbd.com and purchase some CBD. Use the keyword bootleg Kevin, get 20% off at vapingcbd.com. Let's get to this interview, goddammit. Listen, MC8 is on the motherfucking podcast. Let's get to it. Bootleg Kid Podcast number 16. Come on. Uh, we're here with a legend right now, man. MC8. What's cracking, kid? I'm chilling, bro. I got to tell you, when I was a, a kid, I had a big cousin who had all, you know, the CD books used to be the shit.
1: Right, right.
0: He had all your shit, Compton's Most Wanted shit, and uh, I kind of got introduced. I want to say, as a child, you and Quick's Beef was my first introduction to, like, rap beef. Right. Mm. I was probably like, I don't know, like ten or eleven. And uh, you know, you guys had a legendary back and forth. But um man, it, it's it's so dope to talk to you. I've obviously I've been in LA for like three or four years. This is the first time you met, man. Yes indeed. Yes indeed. Uh you got your new album that um how long have you been working on this new album Lessons?
1: I've been working on it for about a year and a half. Um, uh, you know, just trying to get the right music together, you know, uh try to get a couple of features, whatever. You know, I don't really be big on features. I just try to do what I do. You know, when I start recording a project, I usually just go into the studio. I get about three, four producers, and I just have them just send me beat after beat after beat after beat, so I might record up to 60 songs. Right. And then from there, I just, you know, being in the game a while and having relationships with certain cats, it enables me to pick up the phone and be like, "Hey, you know, I need a verse. I need a beat. So, always Primo, always New York cats. You know, you know. I, I kind of, you know, they extend their hand as far as, uh, as far as my 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 my. Uh, I want to say my contribution to hip hop. Right. It's been so long, so. Dudes so just, you know, send me verses, send me beats. So I've been recording this record for about a year and a half and I try to do a lot of songs and then I'll, out of the 60 songs, I might pick 30 and then I'll send them to Primo. And then Primo will be like, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no. And then from there, I just basically just try to put whatever. It don't even matter on the amount of songs I record. If it's 20 songs, we put 20 songs out. If it's 15, right. we do 15. If it's 12, if it's 27. I mean, I just try to do a gang of songs so at least it'll go around the board and have everybody mm. or some a little flavor for everybody.
0: You and uh, Primo, give me the roots of your guys' relationship because obviously you being from L.A., Primo's, you know, originally from Texas, but we right. associate him with New York. Um, talk about y'all's relationship and, 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 and
1: you know, where it started? Um, I started rapping, man, back in the day days. You know, uh, T-Rock, Seal Smooth, EZ, um, Ice Cube, Tone Loke, Schooly D. So I, I've been around for a while. So back in my days, record companies was big on promotional tours. Mm-hmm. You had to go out. You had to go do in-store, sign autographs. So around the time I first got started, I um, Primo and them had first got started with Gangstar, him and Rest in Peace Guru. Rest in Um, Peace. I used to see him a lot on the road, promo tours. And one of my first major concerts was with Gangstar at the Celebrity Theater in in Anaheim. Oh, no. There's a Celebrity Theater in Phoenix, too. Yeah, it was a Celebrity Theater in Anaheim. And my first major show was low profile. Wow. Above the law. Okay. CMW and Gangstar. So, so that's,
0: re- that's like such a gangster ass West Coast yeah. lineup and then Gangstar <laughs> and then Gangstar.
1: So, you know, they was hot with the Manifest record. Yep, yep. So, I used to bump into them in a lot of my early gigs, you know, when I start touring was with Gangstar whether it was Texas or Chicago, Cleveland, always used to bump into Primo and them. So, we got cool like that. And then me being signed to Sony, you know, a lot of my deals in construction, I had to go to New York and deal with mm-hmm. the suit the suit heads. So yep, yep. I just call Primo up every time, you know, Primo, I'm coming into town, he picked me up from the airport, we go to his crib, just hang out like mm-hmm. homies, and we've kept that relationship over the years. You know, he used to remix my uh, records when I was over at uh, Sony, over at Epic, um, so we just kept a connection, you know, And Primo used to take me around all the shows, the gigs, you know, I got introduced to Nas early and Buster Rhymes and Tretch and a lot of them cats, man, we used to just chill. So um, we've built that rapport over the years as to I can hit Primo up, man, any time of day. Any time of day, night, whatever, and and it's it's always a given, you know. Primo, I need a beat, or sometimes I just want him to listen to shit to make sure I'm on the right track because as a producer, you trust his ear. Of course, God damn right, he got that ear. And being a and you know producing for everybody from me to Jill Scott, Jay Z, Jay Z, Christina, Biggie, you yep. know, so he's had that he's had that track record where he has that good ear. So me and Primo's been knowing each other for a long time, and I respect that. that friendship relationship outside of just the music you know somebody you would cross paths with at a concert or a show or whatever he's the best and and yeah i i
0: I had one conversation with primo and it was it was the best it was like when you meet your idols yeah yeah. and it like they don't they don't fuck up which you you know because sometimes you'll meet somebody who you grow up Loving and and then you you meet them and or you interview the perception them perception of
1: the motherfuckers is like damn and you are disappointed yeah, but yeah. with
0: Primo we just talked hip hop and porn stars and all kinds of wild oh, yeah, shit. yeah 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 <laughs> that's Primo that's Primo right yeah
1: Primo can talk you around everything every subject every anything you know and like I said that's from being as being a diverse human being that Primo is being and a good nigga he's for always sure. been that for sure
0: go, let's go back to kind of how you got started man like. Obviously being from Compton, being involved in the gang shit, at what point in time did you decide to take hip hop serious and realize that it might be like a way out of the other shit that was going on?
1: Well, you know, like I said, I started in the height of of, you know, not to saying that, you know, gang bang still exists and it's still out it there or whatever, yeah. but I started in the height of of the area around Ice-T with Colors and mm-hmm. NWA and Easy with Boys in the Hood and Straight Outta Compton. And then Ice-T with 6 in the Morning. King T, you know what I'm shout saying?
0: Out to so, the, t- shout out to the Liquid Crew, man. King, day, t-, King t and Ice-T are two guys who don't get enough praise for what they did. For- Definitely
1: my dude, Tila. Tila was man. I mean, every, every record that came out from Tila in that time was just, you know, Payback's a mother and you better bring a gun and all that shit, man. He was the forefront of what everybody could say was what started Compton Hip Hop. No disrespect to my nigga Toddy T and Mixed Master Spade, but as far as records could went, Tila was that dude. So I was just a young cat, you know, trying to bang in the neighborhood, whatever. And Todd was from my neighborhood, Toddy T. Shout mm-hmm. out Toddy T. Todd came out with a song called The Bataram, you know. Ram was a neighborhood jam. You know, the Darryl Gates, right. police, drug sales, whatever. So that kind of piqued my interest of getting into the rap game. And then <clears throat> I took a summer vacation, you know, to Mississippi. And my cousin, being in Mississippi, was more East Coast inclined. Mm. So that's when I started hearing rap music. Right. You get me? Eric B and Rakim and fucking UTFO and Roxanne right. Shantae right. and uh, Treacherous Three mm-hmm. and Grandmaster Flash. So I'm like, oh shit. Like, so it piqued my interest is to want to take it to a different level as to just going home and rapping about the block. Because that's what I did. Right. I wanted to be a Toddy T or a Spade. I want to rap about Trag New. I want to talk about the 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 police harassment and who mm-hmm. we had beef with and whatever, whatever. But then when I got introduced to, like I said, rock him and Eric B as president. When you hear shit like that or EPMD, you got to chill. Right, right, right. You start going, wow, like it's something else to this shit than just speaking on, What you see. Exactly. So from that, I just took the skills and what I've learned from the East Coast rappers of learning how to put together verses in a perfect song and to rap about shit outside of Compton, you know. So that's what sparked my real interest and want to turn from just a little Mixtape or TDK selling, talking about mm-hmm. we this and we that and we bang or this is our hood. And it wanted me to take it further. The songs like Growing Up in the Hood yeah. or Drive by Miss Daisy or to get more, you know, personal with the rap. So it started around when I, I started listening to East Coast rap. I mean, I mean, East Coast rap was big for me, man. Real talk.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that was always kind of prevalent in your shit like that. Because I you know, I mean, even if we, we can fast forward to now, you know, your first single's got Conway on exactly. it was by Primo, you know? Definitely. But I do think that um if you think back to that era of like West Coast hip hop, like how even, even Ice Cube, you know, with America's Most Wanted, which I think is his best body of work, um, was heavily influenced by by the by, by New York. He went out exactly. to New York and tapped I mean, in with the bomb squad, definitely and P and and Chuck D and all that. Um at what age did you initially get involved in gangbanging because i i do feel like we like you said it's it's still around but in when you were growing up it was kind of it was it was it was new i'm saying it was new to the world exactly right exactly like the crips and blood shit was something that was starting to become like a mainstream thing. But it, but now we all know what Crips and Bloods are, right?
1: A, I mean, as a young kid, I was naive to it. I mean, I lived in the center of it and didn't know shit about it as a, as a fucking five, six, seven-year-old kid. Right. All I knew was Saturday morning cartoons, riding my bike up and down the street and not knowing that the dudes right down the block was claiming shit and Mm -hmm. selling drugs. And I was naive to it. But as you grow and you start seeing and you start adapting to your environment and you seeing the dudes hanging on the corners and dudes your age riding around in in fancy cars and, and whatever. So my introduction to that was around, you know, 12, 13 years old. Wait, I, what year was this? Shit, this had to be like 85, 86. Okay. You know, it was treacherous round. You know, I, was go, I would go to the bus stop getting ready to go to school, and then I started getting introduced to niggas sweating you and shit. I didn't know right. what the fuck that was like, about. What is this? I'm sitting at the bus where stop getting ready to go to school, and it's like, nigga, where the fuck you from? And what you doing over yeah. here? And why you got that on? And what you wearing that hat for? And why you got there? And, and I'm looking like... God damn, this is, and that was the reality of it. So the, and as at that age, it's funny because before that, I dealt with none of that. Mm-hmm. But then once, once you, be, you start to look like once you might you be that, growing a little right, bit, once you hit that age, next it's just like a common thing. Mm-hmm. You either getting sweated or you sweating the motherfucker or y'all jumping out on motherfuckers, and that's like I said, it was the product of my environment. Is is what I adapted to when I was able to understand. And know what gang banging was about, and trying to grow up in a section and trying to protect your section and represent, and it's about you and the homies and whatever, so it was a transition I think growing up on the west and being in that environment because if I probably grew up somewhere else, it'd probably been a different thing.
0: do you think that you having to deal with that shit where people would bang on you or or sweat you like you said like did that kind of force you to like figure out like i need to I need to have something to say
1: well, yeah. I mean, you either gonna get down or lay down at that aspect. So it's either you gonna belong, you gonna belong to something and represent something, or you gonna be a motherfucker out there who's probably gonna end up at the like belly of the beast because there was no saving. I don't give a fuck. You could say you wasn't from nowhere, and then the motherfucker sweat you harder. So it's best to belong than to not and get caught up in a world of bullshit that you can't handle. So that was my thing about, you know, the gangbanging shit and and claiming the hood or or getting courted in or whatever. It was the sense of feeling like I belonged and represented. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I had 15, 20, 30 other niggas who was representing and we all for the protection of whatever. And if nuggets didn't like it, then we handle that accordingly to why we did it. But like I said, I think it's, it's not a choice. It's being in a situation in an environment that we grew up in. It's like, that's what you did.
0: Yeah. It's funny because I just had this conversation with somebody. I had a cousin who did like 15 years in prison. Right. Right. I have two cousins. One of them is half Mexican, half white. He's in the Mexican mafia. My other cousin, who who actually passed away in prison recently, um, not a racist guy, big hip hop head, but literally was in for twenty years and mm. it had he joined the Aryan Nation, it's a survival thing. It's like definitely, it's like you know. I remember he got out for a couple of years, and I took him to a Busta Rhymes concert, and he, it was like the best night of his life. But this motherfucker. I like, you got to wear long sleeve shirts, bro. Yeah, definitely. But like you said, it's like, yo, it's, what you're, it's, it's like you got to adapt. You have to Get adapt. Get down and
1: lay down. I mean, you have to adapt to certain situations that were put in, especially if you one of those young young men mm-hmm. who, grow, who grew up, or got tossed in a situation to where it's either gone you either a part of this and gonna belong or you gonna represent and you gonna up you gonna uphold this shit to the best of your ability or you gonna be like i said you're gonna be a sheep to the lions
0: what are your thoughts on on now because i do feel like it's just interesting that like there's people who will move to la like artists will move to la and then you know all of a sudden they're affiliated with certain sets and 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 they got big homies and i i I don't know how like you know there's like r&b singers and shit that are like banging like hard as fuck and it's like wait a minute like you know like what are your thoughts on kind of how how gang banging has evolved currently because i do feel like there's a lot of um there's a lot, like, like there's a lot of faces to certain, you know, sets that are like they, you know, that aren't from here per right. se. You know what I'm saying?
1: Well, I take the, I look at that as a lot of people get into situations to where they feel like it's just like if a dude joined the Cub Scouts or went out and joined the football team or whatever. The aspect of that is to toughen up or make you uh, seem like, you know, you protected or being something that you ain't. Some dudes have to adapt to that situation. Some dudes have to feel like, you know, that's my that, that's my foundation of what I've seen or what I've wanted to become Uh if for for dudes like me who grew up here and first ha- witnessed gang banging and done. grew up in it, there was a certain way and code that you belonged or you got put on a neighborhood. You know the the new days quote of gang banging is to each his own. To, is what I say. It's what is accepted and what ain't accepted from whatever gang feels like this is what they do. I mean, I don't know, sometimes it might be a popularity contest or it might be a, hey, I've always wanted to be a part, so is it a backward step? To me, I think it is. But like I said, some dudes is to each his own, and they feel like that they have to have that, that background to make them official. You feel me? So I don't really speak on it because then we don't want to get entangled in the situation of, telling people that they not original or whatever, because if you feel that's you, that's you myself. I know the certain codes coming from Compton at 12, 13 years old, knowing what it took or what it, what had to be done to be initiated into a game as to, Nowadays it's just like, hey, you're down, you down, show us love, on show us bring, love, bring the homies around the city, and it's all good. So <laughs> it's different codes, like I said, different times. I mean, gangbanging is commercialized now. Is, yeah. Back in my days when we didn't glorify it, I mean, people knew where we were from, what we represented, but there was no way in fuck. Sony, yeah, I
0: feel like once the '90s hit, yeah, it became like. I remember when there was the Crips versus or the Crips and Bloods album banging on wax, right. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah.
1: It, it started to become commercialized because record labels looked at it as as a promotional tool to sell yeah. records. I mean, honestly, we couldn't do that shit back in my days. When I got signed to Sony and I was on Epic Records the home of Michael Jackson and Day? no way in fuck you finna put bandanas on a video right. and you finna be on a record talking about you a crip from so-and-so. The way we did it is we did it with our color symbolizations or niggas will wear blue in their videos, the Bloods will wear red in their videos, and we left it at that. Now that record labels see that it's influenced by, our oh shit, so he's saying he this, now you got a million fans who buying this product because he represent what we're not going to stop that. I mean, claim whatever you want to. You want more blue bandanas? You want more red bandanas? Get them. The more, the merrier, because it's now commercialized and people ain't scared of the situation no more. Not to say gang banging ain't official. But like I said, back in our days, motherfuckers had security in the lobbies of record labels because they were scared of niggas walking in them. Now you like bring all your crew in shit you get. So it, it's just the way that motherfuckers have monetized it and made it to where we can put it on film. You can claim it. And then there it is. Fuck it. Long as we making a dollar off of it, we don't really we're what not intimidated. We'll turn yeah, the other crazy. cheek. We'll turn the other cheek. Yes.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you about something specific that I just wanted to get your take on. And that's the six nine situation. He mm. just was out in L.A. Yeah. for like three or four days. Obviously, just out here di- being very disrespectful, um, trolling the shit out of everybody. I, I, um, he pulled up to Nipsey's um, memorial, you know, at the mm-hmm. next to Nip- Nipsey's store. Um, I had heard. Well, first of all, you know, what are your what is your take on like on that specific like? Like him coming out to L.A. and kind of just showing out. I know he's got – and then I wanted to ask you a follow-up, dude. I just wanted to get your initial kind of perception <sighs> on that.
1: It's expected for dudes who are looking for the limelight. Promotional tactic and stunts are Heavy. Real niggas don't move like bullshit. Real niggas move like real niggas move. So that situation to me is all about numbers. It's all about promotion. It's all about controversy. And when you got them three things, you'll stay in a motherfucker's mouth all day. Whether it's good or bad, they don't give a fuck. I've always been told promotion is promotion, whether it's good or bad. Motherfuckers is talking about you.
0: Yeah, there's that cliche there's no such thing as bad press. None, none. So, unless you're Tory Lanez. Anyway, continue.
1: uh, So, look, he comes out and he's the talk of the town. Now, nobody's really, real niggas are not worried about that situation. You got a lot of motherfucking people who feel that it's disrespectful, whatever, whatever. But on a real day, he's not going to do that type of shit knowing that it's real niggas standing ground.
0: I heard he did that at like 7 in the morning.
1: Before. Of course. You do it, like I said, it's all publicity. And I, like I said, I don't have nothing to say about dude. Dude do what he do. He try to make his money. That's his thing. It's all about the money. Let's Let's face it. It's all about the money with certain cats. It's not about being, you know, loyal or true or whatever. So I don't understand why a lot of motherfuckers are tripping off of the cat because it's all been that gimmicky situation from the the gate. That's what he does from the gate. So don't be shocked by the antics. You get me? It's just like a motherfucker who want to promote a movie and go downtown and skydive off of the tallest building or tightrope across or anything for promotion is to keep a motherfucker's name in in people's mouths because the quieted you are and you don't talk about it, motherfucker going to die away in the wind. So I have to keep my name in the public. So you do certain shit. You do dumb shit.
0: Yeah, I was going to say because... With with someone like him coming to LA, obviously, he's got a lot of security. Of course. Um, I'm not sure if he had like had to pay for any protection out here or not. Um, but do you think that like I it, a lot of people I know, I've spoken with a lot of a lot of uh homies that are, are from out here who are, you know, some G's that like like Six Nine kinda like do you think he kinda cracked the, the street code or maybe just I think he's the first person to like do what he's doing openly. There's been other snitches that are, of course, of course people, but like for him to be so outward with it, do you think he kind of cracked the the street code? and, And do you think that like there's a way to move forward where, because the snitch thing has always been that one code that is the unbreakable thing, right? And he's right, still successful. He's calling people out. Like, I mean, it's 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 it's, it's kind of crazy.
1: But you but you have to understand the snitch code. the The snitch code stands for real niggas, right? It Th- only stands for real well, me, niggas. Me and
0: Glasses Malone talked about that. Like, if you're like a civilian, if you're a no, if you're not mixed up in shit, you sh- you should snitch. And then, like, if, if something happens to you, and right? You're a normal person, right? Call the police. But if you're, you know, G Malone. Like nah, I'm not calling the police. I'ma handle my shit the way I handle my shit because 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 I, I
1: this is my life. This is exactly your reputation is your life is at stake and your word is at stake. But why are people so like adamant to put the snitch jacket on motherfuckers who never was real from the first place? That's where you getting shit confused. I don't give a fuck. Stop looking at the money, the chains, the fucking streams and all that. Stop looking at that shit. A nigga was never real from the gate. So how can you put the code of you should follow it? Why? Because a motherfucker was hanging with street niggas? And because a motherfucker was rapping what? And
0: they allowed that guy to be around him. No I mean, was, no how he was if playing.
1: you're going to pay a motherfucker, then fine. If they're going to, you know... I. And this is coming from the niggas. Hell yeah, we're going to let that nigga hang around us. If he kicking up 150, 200 grand, we you think we not? Motherfucker, come hang. Right. We benefiting from that. Right, everyone's getting paid. Okay, but you got to understand. When you put a motherfucker in a situation and he's not real from the gate, it's going to backfire. He's going to tell on you. I mean. Are you surprised? It, it, you shouldn't be. Right. You get me? Just like with 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 my man George Floyd and the police brutality. Motherfuckers been doing that shit forever. It's on video now. Okay. And I get it. And it's fucked up that my boy had to lose his life in that situation. But you shouldn't be surprised. And that's what gets me sometimes is when motherfuckers go, oh, no, I can't believe it. How you, how you can't? This shit just happened last week around the corner, but it wasn't on film. A motherfuckers never been real. Never. Let me tell you something, and this has been going on since hip-hop and money has been around. The more money you got, the more fucking courageous you feel, and that go with every fucking rapper. I don't give a fuck if you a street rapper and whether you a real motherfucker or you was the poindexter nigga in the crew, the minute you get bread in your pocket and chains and whatever, and you fuck a couple of bitches, you're going to start feeling like mighty man. I'm untouchable. I'm the hardest nigga on the block. I'm the hardest nigga. But the first time a nigga tests your hardness, you fold and you're going to tell. So, we shouldn't be confused by the fact of what that situation is. You shouldn't. He's not he's not a a a, a nigga's rapper. He's not my rapper, he's not your rapper, he's not whatever.
0: Now he's like 13-year-old kids who like TikTok. Shit. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. That's who he's making. Don't
1: me for. get it confused because a lot of motherfuckers are going, "So what he told?" "So what?" That's your kid in there vouching for him. Because let me tell you, if you're a grown-ass motherfucker and you banging that shit? Something is physically wrong. Yeah, something is physically wrong. Now I get it. The little, the little girls, the little, the strip club girls who dance into his music, and the little kids who like the colorful and right. the right. hair right. and all. I get it. Damage, yeah. I get it. But let's not be confused for a dude like me or a nip or you or yeah. whoever. It's not my music.
0: Hell no. That
1: so, let's not get confused about who vouches for my man. You get me? A lot of youth, a lot of ch- a lot of kids bump that. And that's where you, you know because you pick up your phone as a 15-year-old kid and go bingo. Because me well, are- as a grown ass man I'm not picking up my phone going, I'm finna download this shit and bump it in my car. Right, 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 right. It's for the, so you, you have to, you, you have to understand what the situation is. And that's what I say about that. Disrespectful, yeah, but you probably should expect that from those type of motherfuckers.
0: You brought out the George Floyd thing. You came up in LA probably at the peak of like the LAPD being just the worst right obviously um with that, what happened with ronnie king kind of highlighted that on a bigger scale but there was you know like you said there's that happened so much that people just didn't see what what are some of your experiences growing up in compton with the police because i just remember watching uh was it was a uh boys in the hood or was it a uh, menace it was menace where the cops were just pieces of shit in there and i was like, oh definitely
1: i mean but Ever since the days I could remember being a young cat growing up in Compton, um it was normal. It was normal to the fact that you sort of expected it right. whenever you saw the police hit your corner. Like you knew. If it was we coming. were if we were hanging out in the neighborhood at the hood house and chilling and the police hit the block, nine times out of ten, they finna stop. You finna be sitting on the curve. And two or three of you is going to be going to jail for who knows what. Right. And then you might get punched up. You might get kicked up. You might whoop de You get thrown in the car. You go down to the holding tank. They hold you to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, and they let you go. It's been going on ever since. It, 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 you you riding down Compton Boulevard, and you pass them, and they coming out of a parking lot or off another street, and as soon as you make that eye contact, they finna pull you over. Don't know shit. Ain't ran a plate. Don't know if you coming from work or school or whatever. No matter. If you fit the profile of niggas in Compton who gang bang from these neighborhoods, we're gonna pull you over. We're gonna harass, jack, fuck you up, do whatever. And it's a daily routine. So we might. you might have had a billion complaints. But who gave a fuck? You get me? Who gave a fuck? Because we were just young niggas in Compton and we were in our own world and nobody gave a fuck outside of Compton. What Compton PD right. did or whatever. It's something that we lived with and we dealt with. Was it wrong? Was it fucked up? Of course. But, but you just accepted it as the normal. It's normal. Right. It's just as normal as a motherfucker standing outside on his porch and a nigga hitting the block to do a drive by. It happens. Look where we at. It happens. We we got in Compton in this small little section and got about 30 different motherfucking gangs. Niggas banging on every different street. Block Park Avenue corner on top Crazy. of that selling drugs. Yeah. So police dealt with us how they dealt with us. These and everybody banging everybody's selling drugs. So we gonna go from neighborhood to neighborhood and we just fucking with niggas. That's what it took. Talk about how did you end up
0: becoming involved with menace to society? Um, one of the best, you know, just one of the, one of my favorite movies ever, but obviously one of the, the best, you know, movies that kind of de- depicted life, the nineties in exactly.
1: LA. I, um, we had just came off of colors, you know, iced tea colors and whatever. And then Cube did, uh, boys, boys in, in the hood. hood. Then they had South Central with Glenn Plummer. And then, um. Tupac had went over and did fucking uh, Juice. Right. So those movies were going around. So you had two young cats out of L.A., the Hughes brothers, yep. who wrote this movie. You know, they went to film school, all that. They had did a lot of Tupac's videos. Brenda had a baby. Holla if you hear me. A lot of his first videos the Hughes brothers did. So they got this script. They took it to New Line. New Line liked it. it knew and they had a a relationship with, with Pac, you know, they felt like, okay, y'all, Pac, bingo, there's Minutes to Society, and, uh, you know, shit happened with Pac, whatever, he didn't make the film, but it was still a good film, uh, they called me up, like, hey, we was looking for a character, I think they was trying to get Ren to do it, too, so um, Ren had read, I read for it, Uh, I guess they liked it, uh, you know, my reading. They called me back. I didn't really think of it. Like I said, I'm still a nigga uh, in the neighborhood. Um, I think I just dropped music to drive by. So I was still on my banging shit with the music and the records and whatever. So I really didn't think nothing about it. And then movies, I'm like, that's Cube and Tupac shit. They, and then Ren was N.W.A. Mm-hmm. I'm just MC8 from Compton's Most Wanted. I've, I'm here, you know. So I'm like, these mm-hmm. niggas ain't finna give me no part. And then my motherfucking manager called me one day and say, because I was on tour, and he called me and said, you got to come back to L.A. because they gave you the part. And then that's when I met Jada and Tyron and Lorenz. And like I said, Pac was there in the first couple of readings because he was still in the movie. So it, it, was, a, it was a good career lifter for me and for the fact that it dealt with actual shit that was going on in in la compton so i think that movie kind of generated a a a following to where it was a good cult classic because it really showed what was going on niggas in the projects or whatever and then for me who had been in similar situations it just kind of it just kind of kind of meshed, you know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, it's crazy too because obviously your role in that movie was kind of like the the the, the, the down ass big homie. You yeah, <laughs> you the,
1: the, the motherfucker who done been there, right. who done seen it. I done been in and out of jail. I done grew up in the neighborhood. So I know the shit to get in and not into. And... It's just like any any niggas neighborhood who grow up and who's claiming a neighborhood, you always got that one motherfucker that's been through a lot of shit and who could tell you a lot of shit about being from the neighborhood and representing and whatnot and and the pitfalls of it. So a lot
0: of people don't know Tupac's original like like uh, you know supposed supposed to be
1: involvement in that movie. What was
0: like he was supposed to be in the movie originally?
1: Tupac was supposed to play um, uh, Sharif. Okay. So my boy Vontae Sweet uh, ended up playing him, but that's the role that they wanted him to play. And he didn't, you know, Pac coming off of Juice and Poetic Justice and then, you know, his records or whatever, he was a very vocal, you know, upfront motherfucker. Pac wasn't the type of nigga to play the back role or to play the just innocent bystander or the conservative nigga. He was the forefront, and he wanted to express that. So he wanted to kind of express why he was being the Muslim kid Mm -hmm. or the one, the voice of reason. He wanted to depict that and show why, and I don't think they wanted to show that. And that's what made the movie for his situation kind of fall apart. Because, you know, if Pac's very adamant. I don't give a fuck. I need motherfuckers to know why I turned into the- Why I, why I am the way I am in the movie. Well, I do? Yeah. Kill a bunch of niggas right, or right, what? Right, right. Somebody killed my mama and I went and chopped their head off or some shit. Show why I'm this person now. And they didn't want to do it. So it kind of went to a bumping head situation to where- You know, everybody know what happened with him and the Hughes brothers. And that was the result of the bumping heads at the fucking table.
0: Did you and Pac have a a, a solid relationship?
1: I was cool with Pac. We did a couple of shows together. Um, You know, he used to bang my records when he was, you know, locked up. So we had a relationship to where when we saw each other, it was mutual respect. You feel me? Yo,
0: you, you know, with Compton's most wanted music to drive by, obviously a West Coast classic, Talk about like, I feel like there was the the culture of the drive-by shooting back then, Mm -hmm. right? I feel like that's something that really became prevalent in LA and was was related to, directly related to the gang shit that was going on during that time. Um, Do you remember like when that started to become something to really worry about? Because I'm assuming it it, it, it it became like it seemed like at a certain point in time it was just kind of the normal, right? Like Yeah, it, it like you, you between, said earlier, it was kinda in normal. In between
1: like for me, I I just know that in between the period of like eighty nine and like ninety-three, niggas was gang banging hard. Like like hard, hard. Like even before then, if you want to say like 87, 86, Everybody was gang, bang- And it was rough gangbanging. Like, it wasn't like, oh, okay, now you'll see Crips and Bloods in the same place, shaking hands, 100%. getting money together. Yeah. And not that niggas wasn't doing it back then. You had certain niggas who could do that. You had certain OGs who could maybe pull up in a blood neighborhood and get out and, and talk to niggas like that. But for me... Niggas was on the kill war path back then, so drive bys was real heavy around that time. Like shit, maybe every other day, That's niggas crazy. was getting smoked. Damn. And then everybody had pistols back in. Niggas is breaking in the gun shops and, and surpluses and, and stealing, especially when the raid happened. Niggas is breaking in the surplus stores and stealing guns. So now everybody in yeah, the hood got, got weapons. And when everybody got guns, I'm I'm talking about it don't even need to My motherfucker go do a drive-by by itself. And I've known a lot of niggas who do it. Fuck it. Nigga, I'm getting in my car tonight and going to hit them niggas. Like yeah. it was it was just not to say it was the thing, but it was happening. To where mamas was sleeping on the floors and putting their kids on the floors at night because guaranteed somebody's getting dropped. somebody coming through tonight. definitely and it was a you know niggas didn't just shoot up innocently but like i said drive-bys was very heavy around that time i think too something from the outside
0: looking in if someone's watching this that isn't from la and doesn't understand the way that la politics work a lot of people just always associate crips and bloods as beefing right right but but it's more of a neighborhood thing
1: yeah it's, I
0: mean, cause there's, there's Crip sets that beef with each other.
1: Yeah. You got Crips. And then, especially if you have large sets, you know, you, especially if you have large Crip sets who have multiple streets and multiple blocks. So, you know, you got Crips from this block who might not get along with the Crips 10 blocks down, even though they're all from the same neighborhood. I mean, even, even where I represented from, there were different streets. You had this, you had this, Corridon, you had 153rd, you had Barclay, you had Taper. All these streets are in one neighborhood, but every, different crews hang on these different streets. So you could have beef with a nigga from across the street who's from your ne- same neighborhood. A lot of that went on. Then you had Crips who beefed with Crips, you know, Crip sets who beef with other Crip sets and so on. So, how big of a deal was it cuz I know,
0: you know, when Nipsey died, it, it just it really fucked man, it fucked me up. I'm no nip for since '09 and um, you know, but when he passed away, um Big U had kind of helped put together that day of unification right. where everybody can't, pulled up, you know, on on that intersection and and, right. and it was like it was it was I didn't realize the um significance of how big of a deal it was that a lot of those people were In the same place in a peaceful manner.
1: Because a lot of a lot of neighborhoods beef and have been beefing for decades. Like and I I put it to the motherfucking analysis of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Right. You go, you got niggas who was beefing before you was even born. So it's that tradition of beefing. And it's just like, damn, y'all was standing in the same spot as them niggas. Y'all been killing them niggas for decades. You get me, and vice versa. So that basically Nip's passing sort of represented trying to unify niggas on the aspect of not just "Are oh, you from over here?" "I'm from over here." Fuck you, fuck you. You know, it kind of it kind of led to the to the place of trying to show that niggas don't have to kill niggas just over bullshit. I get it. Y'all represent there. We represent here. But this was a dude who basically tried to fuck with everybody, whether it was Crip, whether it was Blood, whether you was from the enemy neighborhood from 15 years ago or whether whatever right. I try to fuck with everyone. So that's, to me, what that represents as far as Big U and Nip and, M and and him passing and everybody trying to show unification together. It was to show that the outside world sees us just vicious motherfuckers, gang-banging-ass, vicious, drive-by-killing motherfuckers. And it's bigger than that, or it's, it's beyond that. So coming together shows people that these motherfuckers that y'all look at as these vicious motherfuckers can can set aside their beefs from long standing, and some niggas might not even know why we beef. You get me? I just started gangbanging, and I know we hate them niggas over there. Right, 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 right. I'm not old enough to know what we beefing what happened, about, yeah. but all I know is the minute I start claiming over here, we cross out them niggas and we say fuck them. And the funny thing about it is. Six years ago, I was in the same class as that motherfucker, nigga. We was playing kickball together right. outside and whatever. So, it, it it just showed that we can set aside bullshit for mother for for my nigga who was already on that aspect. Like I got, I know where I'm from, but I got no problem with you, my nigga. If you ain't got no problem with me, I understand what happened back then, and I would never live that shit down, and I will always know where I come from, but motherfucker, if you wanna get me on the song, you're blood, hell yeah. Let's do it. Right. You want me you want a beat from me or want me to come to your video or we know how to get money or we can do this together, man, that's gonna be better for you and me in the long run. Nice. You get me? Talk about
0: um a lot of newer rap fans might have just heard you for the first time on Good Kid Mad City. Right. Which is one of the greatest hip hop albums ever. Shout out
1: to Kendrick. Shout out to shout out to Kendrick. Shout out to Kendrick. Shout out to Top Dog Dre. Um,
0: just that that record is like just the way it switches up, and then you come in, it's like,
1: oh yeah, that that man, that was probably one of the that was probably one of the best you know uh, guest appearances I've done or working with Kendrick because my dude know what he wanted. He all he sees his vision. He sees his direction. And he came about it a different approach than what we usually used to as far as West Coast artists who come from that situation, you know, poverty, you know, gang banging. We usually turn out the the CMWs, the NWAs, the cubes, the whatever. And he was able to take it to a different level almost
0: to, like from the perspective of the kid who grows up in that but i grew up everybody gang banging yeah. around
1: me everybody's selling dope my brother my uncle my shit and i am the straightforward kid but i'm still here so i get to witness everything not that i'm a part mm-hmm. of it because even though i don't have to say it They gonna protect me or they gonna affiliate me with over here or whatever. But I'm just a kid on the straight path who see the pitfalls and I'm trying to avoid that. So. As soon as I hooked up with him, he knew what he wanted. He knew where he wanted to go, how he wanted. He was telling me shit. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. And you got to respect the motherfucker like that. He didn't come into the game playing with nothing. I'm not going to play around with this shit.
0: Were you like aware? Because obviously at that point in time, Kendrick was definitely buzzing. Dre had, yeah, Section Eighty already came out. I wasn't aware of
1: Kendrick at all.
0: So you weren't aware of like no. the
1: magnitude of like, no. yo, this shit no. is. I, I uh started fucking with Kendrick because my son's sister knew of him. And she called me and said they were trying to get in contact with me. I didn't know anything about Kendrick. I didn't know about Section 80, none of none that. None of that shit. No. You were just like, I-, I mean, all right. My son's d- sister called me and said, hey, uh, this guy named Kendrick, he's messing with Dre, blah, blah, blah. They want to get you on the song. And I was like, yeah, okay.
0: What What was it that, did? because you know, there's so many, Iconic rappers from Compton, but I thought it was so dope that he put you on that record because it wasn't like
1: expected, no. and it was very like I'm pretty sure it wasn't expected from anyone. No, uh, I
0: remember I saw that I was like, oh shit, yeah, this uh, one got MC8 on the fucking album about Compton, like Jesus Christ.
1: Like, I like I said, I didn't even, I didn't even. I put nothing to it. When I came, when I showed up at the studio, I mean, we recorded the song in Carson at the spot. So I just looked at it as my nigga's one of these up and coming rappers. He got skills and blah, blah. And then I think the minute after I recorded the song, I went home that night and then everything was Kendrick, Kendrick, Kendrick. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, oh, he signed to Dre and woom dee And then next day, you know, Aftermath hit me and Top Dog and Punch and niggas was like, hey, and I was like, they was like, you know you're the only motherfucker who got to be on the record. Bro. You, Drake, and I think Mary J. Yep. That was it. They yeah. didn't let anybody else on the record. So I was like, whoa, okay, so good look. That's why I said good looking Dre, uh, TDE, all that, because... He could have chose anybody, yeah. especially with Dre behind him. You know, Dre would be like, mm, I don't want that motherfucker. I want that. But when they said Dre said, fuck it, cool. I just looked at it as they, they looked at it as I was a nigga coming from Compton who my whole career, I was just one path. I didn't try to go here, here, come here, here. I just stuck to CMW type of shit, the neighborhood, whatever. So that song was perfect to try to throw me on.
0: I also feel like it was a dope homage to your career because you're somebody who is very underappreciated in the grand scheme of when we discuss West Coast hip
1: hop. Definitely.
0: You're very underrated. Your uh, catalog is, is, you know, fire. And I feel like that was a dope like tip to what
1: you've been doing. I, I, I took that from his point of view as well. I looked at it as, you know, he respected true West Coast hip-hop. And coming from Compton, you know, we got Dre. We got, you know, Quick is there, you know. So I'm like, but I've always stuck to that But you've always been... I've always been consistent with what I do. So coming from Compton to pay, I'm like, he's already fucking with Dre. You know what I'm saying? So... I just looked at it like, yeah, yeah, let's get somebody that we feel has always represented the city of Compton, always been consistent, and like you said, underrated and don't get that much shine and pay a mod. So I didn't even I didn't even question money or anything. That's fire. When they hit me up, I just went to the studio. I wasn't like, oh, well, he signed a Dre. How much y'all finna pay right, me and right, all right, that? Right. I went to the studio, dropped the verse, shook my nigga hand, and we bounced. And I think I heard from them like three months later And they was like Dre and Aftermath And and I was like whoa This is going to be some big shit Fire!
0: So Uh, shut up We're going to do the very first bathroom break In the Bootleg Head Podcast history Because I'm about to piss on myself (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hit this restroom real quick We back at it Yo, shout out to you for not smoking backwoods like everybody
1: else right Oh, now. yeah, man. Backwoods fucked me up, man. <laughs> I don't know why niggas got on the backwoods That's thing. That's like the but... fucking wave now. I'm like, oh, we're having a blunt, God. man. Yeah, everybody smoking backwoods. I'm like, I can't do it, man. I can't.
0: Um, You talked about, uh, obviously, Dre being involved in Good Kid, Mad City. Dre being the, you know, the consensus Compton guy across the country. You know, when we, when we think of Compton, like, he's probably the first rapper that... The world thinks of. Mm-hmm. Did you and Dre ever have any sort of dialogue, or like, what was y'all's dynamic coming up? Because obviously you were a factor, and he was
1: Dre, the, that guy. Dre was Dre has always just been a cool motherfucker to me. I mean, I've never, you know, had the pleasure outside of fucking with Kendrick, of fucking with Dre. Big mad respect because you know he's one of the he's the he's as uh, the best motherfucker as far as what he do, you get me? So anybody who would be, you know, gifted with a Dre track or just fucking emphasis or just the the input of telling you which way to go would be a motherfucking the greatest. But uh, we've always had good uh, rapport. I mean, every time I would see him out in public or go to parties or whatever, whatever, we've always laughed and chuckled and, and been cool you know, so, you know, Primo fucked with him a lot, you know, so he Primo would go over and tell him, you know, I'm fucking with eight and we working. So always good shit. Always good shit.
0: Talk about. So the new album um, is Primo, the executive producer, essentially
1: Primo uh, executive produce. Uh, rec- we did a record uh, two years ago called Which Way is West. Right. Uh, he executive produced. He, um, you know, had a lot of input, you know, his label. So on this record, it was basically to focus on me trying to get, you know, ride the wave of trying to, you know, continue what I've been doing for shit the last 20 years. So he's been a consultant on the record. You know, like I said, I sent him all the beats. I send him all the tracks. He listens to them, you know, gives me advice on what not to do or maybe you need to do this or maybe do this one on a song. He mixes the song, So he, he always has an input when I put out records. That's I try to include him because, like you said, he's one of the greatest producers. He's dealt with a lot of different diverse artists. So he has a, a great ear. Oh, so. he's got,
0: yeah, one of the best ears ever. Um and, and it's it's crazy because working with, like, I feel like Griselda and what Conway and Westside Gun and Benny are doing right now is, like, some of my favorite shit going on in
1: hip-hop. Like They doing that traditional shit. Yeah. If how, you how, think of traditional greedy rap. And that then grimy shit. Grimy shit. Yeah. That's what you hear when you hear them.
0: Yeah, no, I was going to say, like, how... How tapped in are you with the new shit that's
1: happening? Because obviously. I listen to a lot. Like I said, I got a 16 year old son. Right. Shout out Karan. Uh, um, plays football, quarterback. Uh, he always, he now he be up on all y'all shit. Right,
0: right, right, right. I tell
1: him, I'm going to bootleg cab. Oh my God, I got to go. Take <laughs> me. So um, he's a 16 year old kid. So he's up on all the new shit. I mean, what? NBA Young Boy. All that shit, uh, yeah. Lil Dirk right uh <laughs> fucking uh g herbo right 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 uh she uh, he listens to it all and he loves it
0: yo it's it's, it's dope too because you actually you dm me your yeah, shit yeah yeah and not a lot of artists are are like on top of their shit like i was like oh shit of course like mca oh yeah like, i'm it'd be, i'm, it'd be I'm, I'm one
1: motherfucker who and i know a lot of people don't do it because they bought people on the side now, i even got people you know sometimes you got to get people on your team that can whatever but I'm the type of motherfucker that I hit you up personally. I don't, I don't play that all, uh, you know, or this somebody running your page or. Right, right, somebody. right, 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 right. I handle all my shit. I answer all my fans. I deal with, you know, that's how I stay working. I mean, I, I do a million verses a week because I'm able to connect with motherfuckers. I'm I don't just be like, "Oh, I got my cousin running my page and whatever." Dude send me emails, respond. Dude send me DMs if it's business or even sometimes motherfuckers just want to say, "Hey, hey." Yeah. Y'all get a lot of motherfuckers that just be like, "Man, I just wanted to tell you 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 the shit, or I love your shit, and I respond right back, yeah, or cool, or good looking, or right, whatever, right, right. and I ain't trying to hold a conversation with you, but I have the enough respect for fans to at least give them that you know what i'm saying a lot of dudes i get it they don't want to deal with motherfuckers you know i'm I'm too big i don't want to respond whatever whatever but me i don't give a fuck how big you are you gotta connect with the motherfuckers that's
0: spending their money those are yeah that's that they're, they're the reason why you have a man
1: come on man a you way got, to feed your family man you gotta connect with the motherfuckers whether and i get it some motherfuckers be irritating too
0: Definitely.
1: Some motherfuckers be yeah. irritating. They ask the stupidest questions and just shit and you have to sit there sometime and be like, huh? But I still deal with it. It's it's the situation that I put myself in, so to speak. I I had to t- I had to gift the right and, and whatever and make records and whatever. And with that, you are you are gained fans. Let me ask you something.
0: Your your um beef with quick, which I know you've talked about to the death, right um anybody who wants to kind of dive into that there's plenty of content out there of you talking about what happened um do you think that you and and quicks beef resulted in because every time some, something like that happens, people choose sides like do you think it 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 resulted in you losing any opportunities or like you losing out on anything because people might have sw- like chosen up or? perceived you a certain way during that
1: during that period? Um, I've never looked at it like that because I've always looked at myself as the underground kid. 100%. I've never looked at myself as the kid that the motherfuckers would want to come to. Period. And I always accepted that in my career. And embraced career. it. I, I never felt like oh shit, this motherfucker getting this and I ain't getting it. I've never felt that. Never. Because... At the end of the day, I can make some money. I love to write and do hip hop. My bills is paid. Boom. My kids ain't starving and ain't struggling and don't have fucking holy shoes and looking for a handout. I'm fine. I've had opportunities that came along that fit me. I mean, I had the Boys in the Hood soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I had Minister Society in a role. Uh, Thicker than Water with Mac Ten came along. Wow, you know, I forgot about that one. I I, I, I I was nominated for a Grammy with with Kendrick for the song. Should have won that Grammy. Yeah, Macklemore did. Yeah, not yeah, that. yeah. But you get, but you get it, you <laughs> yeah. know. But I've always embraced my position in hip hop and. I'm cool. Well,
0: I'm, when you when you it, with anything, right? right? When you look at other people and you try to judge your own happiness based on what other people are doing, that's where you get fucked up, man. Yeah,
1: that's how motherfuckers become depressed and they become unsure of themselves. Yeah, you come fucked up if you do that. If yeah. I start going, damn, how come I ain't like Snoop? How come or how you, come right. Snoop rapped the same shit I was rapping? Or how come I'm not like Kendrick or right. Quick or I've never done that because I never felt like that. When you
0: heard, uh, man, I'm not gonna lie. Some of those quick records were were, were vicious Definitely. on some on some rapping shit. Like when he's the one line that stuck out to me when I was the E-I-H-T. Now should I continue? You left out the g because the g ain't in you. Right. When you heard that, what was you? Were you like, man, fuck this fool? Or were you like, it's hip hop? Were you like, yo, that was a nice
1: bar? You have to come with good lines in hip hop. Did I you mean, at least like respect his like, like? I don't think when you beefing with cats that you look at them as far as, oh, whatever, you know. But I was never like, oh, I'm finna just blow the fuck up because a motherfucker. I looked at it as hip-hop banter. Could like, you at least acknowledge like, okay, quick, I got something for you.
0: Or like, yeah, that line was kind of, that that was a cool line. I've
1: always felt like I hit. a hip-hop ha-
0: perspective.
1: In a hip-hop perspective, I've always felt, that's just like a motherfucker saying that, I don't think I'm number one. I'm number two or number three. You always give yourself the credit of whatever. So in a hip-hop world, because I never took shit on record personally, so yeah, good line. When niggas would be like, Oh, that was wound-woom. I said from a hip hop perspective, yeah, it was a good line. I mean, just like motherfuckers would say, Oh, what you said was all killer or whatever, whatever. Right. And I say it's all in the aspect of trying to be clever when you trying to diss a motherfucker. Right. You can't diss a motherfucker on a weak shit. I tell niggas today, I've been dissed by some of the best niggas. So if you gonna diss me, you at least got to come with come something correct. With correct. Don't come with no weak shit because then what's the point, right?
0: that's facts man yeah now we're just people just make instagram videos about each other i mean shit <laughs> motherfucker
1: make an instagram video or do some dumb shit or whatever but like i said we came from the class of of writing was everything yeah, man. your pen game man yeah but fuck about the beat man you gotta write some shit because let's face it, a lot of niggas had some whack-ass motherfucking tracks back in the days too but they fucking penmanship was just great like you be like, God damn, man. How'd he come up with that shit? So we prided ourselves on writing. So you had to come up with clever shit. Who else on the new album outside we know Conway Primo? Who else? Conway, uh Primo, uh Dave East. Uh Talib is on the new Shout. album. Yep, yep. Uh, Havoc, Mob Deep is on okay. the new album. Uh Corrupt. Uh, Noble from the Outlaws. Okay uh cocaine
0: shout out cocaine
1: yuck mouth mitchy slick
0: shout out to san diego man
1: uh, who else we got on uh, my girl sherelle terry uh chill from cmw uh who else is on the record be okay. real
0: a lot of legends on this so there.
1: yeah that's what i i try to do a mix you know I, conway dave east uh and then i you know go back to people i admire havoc corrupt fucking noble be real be me and be real have done songs you know as far as back to prelude to a come up on the cypress Mm -hmm. hill record and then me and mugs used to fuck around soul Uh, assassins whatever so
0: again be real i feel like there's like a class of just west coast guys who don't get enough acknowledgement is one of them you're one of them spice one like there's a yeah, lot of yeah, guys yeah
1: definitely spice one brother lynch hung shout out you, brother lynch yeah. shout out to uh we we talked about king t earlier exactly there's a lot of the licks the alcoholics. alcohol there's a lot of underground heroes here as far as west coast is concerned and you know not to take away from nothing from dre or snoop or cube because that helps us as far as the West Coast is concerned, people stay with the identity of West Coast. But we've had a lot of we've had a lot of motherfuckers. Also,
0: too, like even in the in the two thousand like early two thousands, there was just like a whole other offshoot of underground hip hop coming out of LA that wasn't like dilated people's exactly. Jurassic Five. Mm-hmm. Uh shout out to uh Planet Asia MERS, oh, Planet Asia, mm-hmm. Roscoe, Cali Agents. There was like there was like a whole dope. I just remember it's like I call it the fat beats shit.
1: Right, 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 yeah. The fat beat shit. Yeah. We yeah. had a lot of but like I said, we don't get a, a lot of recognition over in the West Coast, which is sad, but we have cats who will still love hip-hop. Yeah, of course. And they still, no matter where you are on that totem pole, just keep fucking climbing. That's how I look at it. Fuck it. If you old, if you ain't old enough and you get no back spasms and shit and your legs ain't cramping up, fuck it. Keep climbing the pole and shit because there's a lot of good music that's being offered.
0: Would you ever do another Compton's Most Wanted album?
1: Yeah, I did a Compton's Most Wanted Me and Chill did a record. We put it out independently last year. I wanna say September. It's called Gangster Business. Okay. If you ain't heard about it, go go peep it out. Some nice songs on there. For sure. Just trying to warm people back up to getting back out there. So Well yeah,
0: you've been active, man. Like I remember the primo shit and then not, not, I mean, how many how many songs are on this album? Twenty. Twenty is a little twenty piece.
1: I got a record I just dropped in February called Official. It's a double album, twenty seven songs. So that's got a song on there with exhibit and problem. Uh, called profiles i've just been working man i've been working just trying to stay working stay active we know with the coronavirus bullshit they shut a lot of shit down but it's the perfect time for cats like myself to stay active and working you know we wasn't big on touring anyway and whatever so this is the perfect time to be reintroduced to some of those younger fans or some of the people who just appreciate good hip-hop fucking with? music you oh. get me
0: and the album comes out when
1: uh september 19th 18th lessons lessons the album lessons the album the single honcho should be touching down next week videos That's
0: done you shot vi- the video
1: videos done to honcho with conway and we shot a video to the song called corded in with Dave East. shout so, out to Dave
0: East, man shout all out to day. conway and shout out, hey man i appreciate you for pulling up and man, I appreciate the any, conversation. Day, man, any day MC8, man go get the album official perfect